How many of you brought your Bibles to church this morning? Raise them up. Bible check in church. Bible check. Bible check. Get them open to Luke chapter 12 as you're guiding your way through there. Let me let you know about a conversation that I have almost every week. Somebody who is a regular attender or a member of Gospel City, maybe those people that have been coming for 10 years or so, they always come up to me. Somebody always comes up and says, the sermon better be good today because I'm bringing my friend. And uh, that's happened to me like five times already this week. So no pressure or anything, but yeah, you better be on your A game, Trent. And um, so this week it's been a little interesting because I've known what the sermon's going to be about as people have been saying that. And I've been biting my tongue, but here's the deal. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag right now. Um, If you're new and your friend brought you to church, you're going to get to hear a sermon about hell and money. So uh, that's the that's the message today. Um, hope you're. Anybody want to leave church now? Anybody want to like? Okay, I'm out. Um, in Luke chapter 12, this is what we're doing. We're just going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor who was writing to a rich friend of his named Theo, and he's introducing him to Jesus. The first part of the book is all about some things that Jesus did. He raised the dead. He fed five thousand. He was doing miracles, casting out demons, and and guess what? His popularity increased when you do things like that you tend to draw a crowd. And then the crowds are getting so great, they're actually trampling on one another. And it was at that point that Luke begins to record for us the things that Jesus said to the crowds. And the things that he said to the crowds reduced the size of the crowds. Um, Did you know that Jesus will risk offending you in order to save you? And I'm going to risk offending you by telling you what Jesus said, hopefully in order that some people would be saved. I am grateful for the the hellfire and brimstone preachers that preached to me when I was a teenager that broke through my hard-heartedness and introduced me to a way to escape hell. I was really grateful. Matter of fact, I'm the most grateful to anyone for somebody doing that. So I'm going to risk doing that this morning as we look at some of these sayings of Jesus. And um, I'm going to let you know about some threats, two threats to your soul this morning. Now, um, how many of you are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Great. How many of you remember when your kid was just beginning to learn to talk and you're trying to teach them their very first words? Do you remember that? What was the very first word that your kid said? On the count of three, tell me the very first word of your first child. Do you remember what it was? Three, two, one. All right, I knew. So I heard a lot of daddy and I heard a lot of mommy. Do you want to know what our first child, (laughs) Brooke, her very first word was elbow. I do not, I tried to get her to say, daddy, she wouldn't do it. Mama, she wouldn't do it. And we're working through, you know, body parts. It's like nose, eyes, ears, elbow. And she said, elbow, elbow. And it was her favorite word. And and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pretend that you're one of my kids and we're, you're learning your first words. Okay. I'll do what you do. I'll do to you what I did to Brooke. Do with me. Nose, say nose. nose. Good. Eyes, Eyes. Ears. ears, elbow, elbow. Soul. soul. Did you point to anything when you said soul? <coughs> Everybody, right now, point to your soul. Three, two, one, go. So it's really hard to point to your soul. You know why? Because it's invisible. It's not a body part. And what we're going to learn today is that there are threats to our souls. But our souls are the very central part of who we are. We normally think that we are bodies 
that have souls. I am not a body that has a soul. Here's the truth. The biblical doctrine of man is this. I am a soul that has a temporary body. And that body has an expiration date. And one day my soul will be separated from my body. That's called death. It's coming for you just like it's coming for, for me. And my soul will live on forever in one of two places. And Jesus says, you need to know there's a threat to your soul. There's two threats. We're going to see them here in Luke chapter 12. Dive it in right now at verse 4. If you're ready, say go. I tell you, my friends. Don't you love it that Jesus calls us his friends? Yeah, that, I just want to warn you, that's the gentlest thing he's going to say in this passage. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who has, after he kills, the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. So we need to answer a question. What's the antecedent to the pronoun him. A lot of people are like, oh, that must be the devil. I'm supposed to fear the devil because he can cast me into hell. No, 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 no. The devil does not have the authority to send you to hell. Only God has the authority to assign to you a, the place of your eternal residence. And Jesus is telling us to fear God who has the authority to do what he wants to do with your soul. But you are not to fear the people that can just do things to your body. That's, we like our bodies to be safe and we like to protect ourselves from threats to our body. Okay, great. But that's not the, your greatest threat. The greatest threat to your soul is God. And you need to fear him. Jesus goes on to explain in verse 6, are, you not, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? The answer is like, yeah, okay, so that they're worthless, kind of. And, and not one of them is forgotten by God. So, okay, the sparrows have worth before God. And he says in verse 7, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? How many of you are like, it, it's not a hard thing for Tim to number the hairs on your head because it's like it's not even in double digits right now, okay? So, anyway, but the rest of us, we're blessed and we still have some. So, anyway, it says... God knows every one of them, and he values every one of them. Notice, God values every little physical feature, and yet he values something more. Notice, fear not. You are of more value even than the sparrows. So here's the first threat to our souls. It's the fear of man. Because man can cause damage to our body. And if we are more afraid of what man can do to our body than what God can do to our soul, we're going to lose both. So we need to understand what he's saying. What is this soul thing we keep talking about here? It's interesting. The Greek word that's actually translated here is the word psyche. We get our word psychology from. It's talking about the immaterial part of us, the parts of us we can't point to, the parts of us that a surgeon can't cut open and pull out and replace. It's, it's, you can't touch it, but it's very real. It's the immortal part of us. It's the part of us that doesn't have an expiration date. It had a born on date, God created it, you, 
And yet, one day you will live forever either in the presence of God or outside the presence of God in a place that Jesus calls hell. It's a place of punishment. It's a place of judgment. It's a place where there is no grace. It's a place where there are no second chances for grace. Your eternal destiny will be decided before you die, not after. And so we must prepare our souls for the day that God will pronounce judgment. It's the immortal part of us, and then it is the invaluable part of us. If we're to rightly relate to God, if our souls are to be in right relationship with God, we must respect two things. Number one, we have to respect God's terrifying power. If you have never trembled, if there's never been any anxiety in your soul about standing before a holy God, recognizing I am not a holy man, then you are not prepared for judgment. Because if you've never contemplated the state of your soul before the terrifying power of the one who has the authority to put your soul in hell, then you're not ready even to comprehend the second thing we need to understand about God, and that is his incalculable love for you. Did you see what Jesus said about the sparrows? They're kind of worthless, two pennies, five sparrows. But God hasn't forgotten them. God knows them, God cares for them, God considers them of more worth than we do. And here's the point, you are valued far more than you are worth. Your soul is valued far more than you are worth. So here's what we're saying. If you want to be in right relationship with God, number one, you need to fear God he has the power to send your soul to hell. Now, this is a different fear. The fear. This fear doesn't produce something in me that makes me run away from him. Fear is an emotion that causes me to seek a right relationship with the fear source. So if I'm jogging through my neighborhood and I hear a barking dog come toward me, at this point, I am afraid. And I can either run as quickly as I can away, or I can pull out a doggy treat. And I can seek a right relationship with the fear source. The same is true. It, we don't run away from God. The fear of God causes us to seek a right relationship with Him. And the thing that puts us in right relationship with Him is this. He loves us. So if we're going to deal with the fear of man, two things. You've got to fear God more than man. And then secondly, fear not. He loves you more than you're worth. He has stamped intrinsic value and worth on every human soul. That's why we love everybody inside the family of God, outside the family of God, no matter what they've done, no matter whether they've embraced Jesus or not. God loves and yet, we have to understand that in order to be made right, in right relationship with God, we have to understand that Jesus has purchased those of us who repent and believe and bought us 
considering our value far more than we're actually worth. He's purchased us, we belong to him. And when you respond to him, you don't have to fear God. You can fear not, knowing that God loves you and your eternal state has been decided before you die. You don't have to fear, God, fear judgment in that way. And so Jesus knows that the fear of man's going to be a temptation for us. We're, we're, we're gonna constantly fear being, I don't wanna be rejected, I don't wanna be ostracized, I don't wanna be isolated from people. So you know what he says, look here in verse eight. He says, I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of men, the son of man, that's another name for Jesus, will acknowledge before the angels of God. So that's the judgment. If you want Jesus to acknowledge you at the judgment as one of his, then you have to conquer the fear of man and acknowledge him before men. How do you do that? You identify yourself as a Christian. You don't hide behind the fact that you're a Christian. You, you, you boldly state, this is what I believe. I, I, I believe God has spoken. He's given us a book. He's revealed himself. He's holy. I'm sinful. And I've come to him through the work of Christ on the cross. And I'm not ashamed to tell you of that. That's the way you acknowledge your true identity as a Christian before men. If you're not willing to do this, then this is what you do, verse nine. The one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Again, at the judgment, standing before God, angels are there, judgment's going on. If you don't wanna be denied there, then you have to not deny Jesus before men. That's the fear of man, and it's a threat to your soul. There's one more threat to your soul. Look, look here at verse 11, uh, verse 10. He says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. You know what that means? For those of you that have ever used Jesus' name in vain, like you've said Jesus Christ, but it wasn't in praise. How many of you have done that? Uh, a lot of us have done that. Is that forgivable? Jesus says it is. But let me show you something that's not. He goes on in verse 10 and says, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin. So what is the unforgivable sin? It's called blasphemy and, and this is what it means. It is the deliberate, unceasing resistance to the Holy Spirit who is testifying that Jesus is Lord. You know what's happening in this room right now? The Holy Spirit is speaking with such power and clarity, much more power and clarity than I've got, into your soul. And he is trying to persuade you to agree with who he believes Jesus is, the Son of God the only hope for your soul, the one who paid the penalty on the cross for your soul, and the Holy Spirit presses in and makes you feel uncomfortable. If you will not repent, if you will not believe what the Holy Spirit is trying to impress on you, there is no other way to be forgiven of sin. That's the unpardonable sin. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, that really concerns me. I wonder if I have committed the unpardonable sin. If you are worried that you might have committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't. Those that commit the unpardonable sin aren't worried about it. 
They're not listening to Jesus. They're not experiencing any anxiety whatsoever about denying Jesus, about living an unrepentant life. And, and that, that is the evidence that they've yet to be forgiven. But, but here's the paradox. Those who are committing the unpardonable sin, if they will repent and believe what the Holy Spirit is saying to them, they can be forgiven. And so if you are one of those, it's like, ah, maybe I need to lean in, maybe I need to believe this stuff, then that's the Holy Spirit persuading you and convincing you this is true. Jesus is the one who died for your eternal soul. So the question is, are you willing to be rejected by men in order to be accepted by God? Some of you, sadly, are going to spend an eternity in hell because you are afraid of what your friends would think of you if you gave your life to Jesus. It's a threat to your soul. The truth of the matter is, only those who are willing to be rejected by men will be accepted by God. And I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Some of you have wrestled through this. Before we go any further, it's not the end of the message. I got a whole other point. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is putting some gentle, loving pressure on your soul, and he's trying to get you to open up your life to put faith in Jesus Christ. You felt this before, it's really uncomfortable. What is happening to me right now? It is not the pressure that the preacher's putting on you. That is the Holy Spirit. And he is lovingly inviting you into right relationship with God. Do you fear standing before God in judgment? You should tremble at that thought. And let the love of God so convince you of your value and your worth that Jesus would die to purchase you on the cross. If you will repent of sin, lean into him as Lord, you can be rescued. Your soul can be saved. Your soul can spend an eternity in heaven rather than in hell. And if you wanna do that right now, open up your heart to him and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for what you did on that cross for me. My sin nailed you there. By faith, I receive you. I don't care what people think. I care what you think. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me to live my life for you. Amen. Everybody look up here. If you just prayed that prayer and in that moment you agreed with the Holy Spirit about what he was saying about Jesus, at the end of this service, our pastors and counselors will be here at the front. I want you to resist the fear of man, to stay back there, come to one of these and say, today I put faith in Jesus. What do I do next? And we'll give you a whole next step opportunity. We got a new believers kit. We want to get you connected to the church. We'll, we'll help you figure stuff out. We'll pray for you. We know you don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. We're just all going in the same direction together following Jesus. Okay. All right. What's the second threat to your soul? The first one's fear of man. Here's the second one. It's the fear of trusting God with everything. Look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, that, that, I love that because that's just like those people that tell me, Trent, I hope you're preaching a good sermon this week because I'm bringing my friend. I'm bringing my brother. And my brother's got a lot of money. And if he would listen to Jesus, he would give some to me. That's what this guy in the crowd is saying. It's like dad died, left the inheritance, but he gave it all to the elder brother, right? And, th- and this guy is coming to Jesus. This guy's not interested in serving Jesus. This guy's interested in using Jesus to get some money from his brother. And so if you've ever been tempted to bring somebody to church so that they would listen to God and somehow it benefits your life, then you're just like this guy. So this guy is not necessarily following Jesus. He's, he's yelling at Jesus through the crowd and he wants Jesus to tell his brother to do something with his money. Now, by the way, this is the part of the message where it gets really awkward because the preacher's talking about money. Let me just assure you, um, this whole chapter is about money. The previous chapter was about money. Chapter 16 is about money. 28% of the things that Jesus ever said was about money. And so you should be glad that 28% of the stuff I say is not about money. Maybe it should be. If I was more like Jesus, it would be, maybe. But this one is. And so what is this guy saying about money? And why does Jesus talk so much about money? Listen, Jesus doesn't want your money. If you're here, do not go out of here saying that. Preacher was trying to get my money. He's not. Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus wants something else, which we'll get to in a minute. But if you were to give Jesus your money before you gave him your life, it would actually be dangerous to your soul. You know why? Because it would give you the illusion that Jesus is happy with you. It would give you the, that's religion. is like doing a bunch of external stuff without ever dealing with the heart. And so listen, don't fall into that trap. And Jesus didn't want this guy to fall into the trap either. Jesus teaches that our money is tethered to our hearts. Everybody take out your wallet right now. Everybody do it. It's like, I've never taken my wallet out in church before and I'm not starting now. I, I get you, I get you. But if you're convinced, pull out your wallet. Just understand that this wallet is a lot closer to this than it is to this, okay? It's a lot closer to this. <laughs> this is the biblical teaching, okay? It, there is a tether from our money to our hearts. Now, um, maybe you can remember when you're in elementary school, um, this horrible game that tall people invented to torture the small children in elementary school. I was always the smallest one in my class. How many of you are always the shortest one in your class, okay? And you got punished because they invented this thing called tetherball. Remember tetherball? Remember they put the pole in the playground and they had a rope attached to the ball and somehow the tall people could figure out a way to make that thing go around so that it went to the height on your side but it was low on their side and the only way to really stop the thing was like to throw your face in front of the thing. That happened to me. This, was, I'm, this is therapeutic for me to tell you this story, right? So here's the thing. There is a tether from your heart, from your soul, to your treasure, to your physical material wealth, okay? And Jesus wants us to understand this so much, he will risk offending us in order to save us from stupid stuff we do with the money. So notice what Jesus says here. In verse 15, 
And Jesus responds to this guy that yells at him about his brother. He says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. All right, so covetousness, remember the Ten Commandments? The last commandment was thou shalt not covet. So number 10 on the list, Jesus is pointing back to that. He's like, here's the problem with covetousness. Covetousness is a, is a longing. It's a, it's a desire for something I don't have, thinking that if I had it, I would be happy. It, it's, a, it's a longing for something to fill the empty spot in my soul. But Jesus is trying to help us understand there's no material possession, there's no amount of money that can help your soul. That's why he goes on and says, for one's life, does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Do you see the word life in verse 15? There's a Greek word called bios. Know that word, biology? That's where we get our word from. That's physical life, right? That's not the word he uses. He could have used that word. The word he used was zoe, which is this abundant life, the life, the spiritual life. The, it's like, this is the life. I'm living the life. That's, that's the way that we would use it in English. But he says, if you want that life, you have to understand it is not connected. It's not tethered to the abundance of your possessions. In other words, abundant life doesn't come from abundant possessions, but we think it does. That's why all of us are being bombarded constantly by commercials and televisions that's saying, if you would only buy this product, you would be so much happier. And there are billions of dollars spent to convince you that what Jesus just said is not true. But Christians have broken their addiction to the abundance of stuff and understood the way that I get life, the life I want, is not by collecting money or treasure. It, it, there's no way for me to ever possess anything to give me the life that God wants me to have. Look at verse 16. It says, and he told them a parable. Do you like stories? Here's a good Bible story. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful, plentifully. Now, I want you to notice here, Jesus does not rebuke the rich man for being productive. You should be productive. You should be as productive as you possibly can be. Dare I say, you should be as rich as you possibly can be. He doesn't rebuke him for being rich. He rebukes him for being stupid while being rich. Now notice he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And, verse 19, I will say to my soul. There it is. I love it. He actually calls himself soul. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, uh, it's, I mean, it's 
it's a bad day when somebody calls you a fool. It's your worst day when God calls you a fool. Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Do you understand? Possessions don't get you into heaven. And you're not taking them with you. So he says in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now listen, before you even begin to wrap your mind around this parable, we've got a problem in this room. Here's the problem. Nobody in this room thinks they're rich. So nobody in this room thinks this parable's about them. Uh, Hang on a second. Let me let you know, we are the kind of people Jesus is talking about in this parable. Everybody in this room is rich. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're rich. (laughs) Turn back to your neighbor and say, so are you. (laughs) Now listen, that's a fun little exercise, but listen, it's true. Let Let me prove it to you. If you have ever replaced a working piece of technology (laughs) with a new and improved piece of technology, you're rich. If you have ever purchased a new pair of shoes before the shoes you are wearing have holes in them, you are rich. If you've ever traded in one working vehicle for another working vehicle, if you have a little house for your working vehicle to live in, (laughs) you are rich. If you ever spray clean drinking water on dirt or grass, you are rich. You say, still haven't... If you, in your family, have an annual income of over $45,000, you are right now part of the richest 1% of the people on this planet. Now turn to your neighbor's eye, I'm rich. I I am rich. Didn't know that, but I'm rich. And do you know what the... Here's the thing. Your riches are a threat to your soul. Because rich people do stupid stuff with their money. And remember, we're all rich. And Jesus is trying to break the tether and understand that the tether is not to the abundance of riches. The, the, The tether is to our hearts. And notice what he's saying here in in, um, verse 21. There is a way to be rich toward God. 
How do we do that? Let's apply it a little bit here. These are things I've told you before. These are, things, these are foundational principles for our family. These things pin us to the mat as a family all the time, especially when we're in a campaign and, and there's opportunities to give. Like, what are we gonna do with the abundance of riches? What are we gonna do with it? Notice this, we have to understand we will never handle anything less significant nor more indicative of our of the condition of our souls than our money. Because what we do with our money shows us what we are putting our faith in. Did you know that God and money speak the same thing to your soul? God says, put your trust in me, I will give you security and significance. What does money say? Put your trust in me, I will give you security and significance. That's why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. It's either God or money. And what you do with your money is the most visible evidence of what uh, your faith is really in. So understand that and then understand this, my earthly treasure will be worthless at the end of my lifetime. I don't know what your net worth is. I mean, everybody in this room is rich. Some of you are less rich. Some of you are more rich. But on the day that we're standing before God in heaven, guess what your net worth is? It all goes back to zero. No matter how much you've accumulated, your net worth will be zero at the end of your lifetime. Unless you understand this principle. Understand this, you cannot take it with you. You've heard that before? But here's the good news, and this is what Jesus is saying. You can send it on ahead. You can have riches in heaven. Sometimes people ask the question, does God want you to be rich? You ever ask that? Does God want you to be rich? Like we would normally react, well, of course not. What's the biblical teaching? We just read, you're a fool unless you are rich toward God. Yes, God wants you to be rich toward Him. And the only way to get rich toward Him is to be less rich with what you do materially and physically with your possessions. Understand what Jesus is saying. Laying up treasure in heaven is not just right. It's not just the right thing to do. It's smart. And laying up treasure on earth is not just wrong. It's foolish. Do you know what he's saying? If I could get you to believe this right now, if I could get you to lay up some of your earthly treasure and transfer it to heaven, a million years, some of you, a million years from now, some of you would find me in heaven and thank me for making you feel so uncomfortable right now. Because you would be rich toward God. And there needs to be a change in the way that we think about earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. So how do we get rich toward God? Here it is, very simple. You have to invest in what God values most. If we only knew what God valued most, then we could invest in it. Oh, wait a minute, we've already learned that, haven't we? Because way back up at the beginning of the message, we heard this verse, fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know what God values? Souls. Souls of men and women who will live eternally either in heaven or in hell. And so when we talk about a building project around here, we talk about something we're given to. Listen, it is not about 
earthly treasure. It is about facilitating the rescue of souls. And if you throw into the Made for More campaign, which we're all gonna do next week, understand you are not getting less rich by doing that. You're getting rich toward God because you're investing in that which God values most. But you can't do that if you fear trusting God to take care of you after you give. It's only those that trust God. So I, I, God's gonna somehow take care of me even though I, I, I threw in all, all this money over here. It's like, what are we gonna do now? He, here's the reality. Being called a fool is not optional. Being called a fool by God is. Christians do these really crazy things with their money. They turn loose of it and they invest it. And the world's gonna look at you, your financial advisor may look at you like, that's foolish. I'd rather be called a fool by my financial advisor than being called a fool by God. So what are we trusting in? Where does our significance and our value and our worth come from? Let's embrace what Jesus has said, even though he risks offending us, in order to save our souls. I want you to stand with me right now. Let's don't disrupt the moment. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I always wish we had more time just to sit and listen to the Holy Spirit, but we're out of time. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just in a moment of quiet. Do you fear God more than you fear men? Do you trust God more than you trust your treasure? Why don't you just make those two declarations before the Lord? Lord, I, I wanna go on record. I'm, I'm gonna live my life in the fear of you, knowing that I can fear not because I'm valued far more than I'm worth. And Lord, I wanna go on record, I am trusting you. I'm gonna stop trusting the foolishness of money, possessions, houses. I'm gonna trust you. It all belongs to you, wherever you want me to put it. You let me know. And remember the most important thing is if you today have trusted Christ as the savior of your soul because of his work on the cross, why don't you, even as we dismiss, come this direction. Don't fear man. Come and speak to one of our prayer partners down here. Let them pray with you. They'd love to give you a new believer's kit. Jesus, thank you for willing to offend us in order to save us. I pray that your words would linger in our hearts and it wouldn't just be something we compartmentalize on a Sunday in a service, but it would, it would radically impact the way that we live our lives. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are loved.